From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome in, folks, to Afternoons with Staffy for your Wednesday. Just gone four minutes past 12. Sammy sitting in for Staff just for today. And then uh, Stephen McIver in the chair Thursday, Friday. Uh, big show coming up between now and 2 o'clock before running it straight. Myself and Kempe. And uh, between 2 and 3, we're going to chat with Kevin Campion and Brett Kamali. Origin... State of Origin game two tonight, and also the Warriors Dragons on Friday night. Uh, I do miss my uh, my NRL when there's a bye week for the Warriors, but they are back and they're playing the Dragons on Friday, so we'll chew through that myself and Kimby between two and three. But between now and two o'clock, very very shortly, going to try something different uh, here on a Wednesday. Um, a lot of conversations get had in the office between the various uh, producers and sports lovers, and quite often I find myself wishing that those conversations were on air. So I thought, why not do it? So today, we're going to bring in uh, Brad Lewis, who produces The Run Home from 3 to 6, and we're going to get Ruben Bradley, who's actually the big boss here, but a massive sports fan, and we're going to chew the fat on a bunch of topics and get your reaction as well on double eight double three oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. This hour as well, we'll also chat with Trent Copeland, former Aussie cricketer, uh, did some commentary with Channel 9, has been on SEN with Vossi the last few days. Uh, the reaction to the Ashes and a phenomenal finish to Game 1, Day 5, and the similarities between that and 2005 back, back in Edgebaston when uh, the England team took down the Aussies by two runs. They had to chase the exact same total. How's that for similarity? 282 runs. That's what they needed. Aussie didn't do it in 2005. They did it this morning. So uh, we'll get Trent Copeland and your reaction to that too. And after one o'clock, we're going to chat to sports freak contributor, rugby league writer Stephen Gallagher because he is a ginormous Dragons fan. And we'll talk to him about Friday night. And he's a New South Wales fan, so he's sweating over this evening. State of Origin live here on ECNZ. So don't forget to tune in for that. Lots to come between now and 2 o'clock. But as I said, to kick off the show, we're going to start with a little bit of something different. I don't know if I should have. I'm supposed to talk over the top of that or just let it run, but I've just let it run. Uh, Brad Lewis, producer of the uh, Run Home here on SNZ, and uh, Ruben Bradley, the big boss dog. Gents, 
Welcome in. Good intro as well, just to kick this uh, this new segment off. I was Good expecting afternoon. the Cheers music. Where everybody knows. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of theme songs. I had a lot of theme songs on the list, uh, including The Godfather, but that didn't make the cut. Um, big big fan of the theme song. So we have a lot of uh, heated conversations out there mm. in the office, and I just would love for that to spill on here. Now, uh, bearing in mind, it has to be of the broadcast standard. <laughs> so, uh, Ruben, you in particular, Noted. some of the words that you use out in that office are definitely not for on here. Um, let's start with the ashes mm. um brad lewis i want to start with you uh, yes, fir- firstly um reaction did you get up this morning were you up late last night i was really looking forward to the final session i was going to watch two hours before heading to bed and then i see the covers on i'm like well there goes those plans um i woke up at 4 a.m as you do when you're my age because you have to have a toilet break and uh <laughs> i went on tribe and i saw that i think they were five down i think um kawaja had just got out i'm like yep. oh there are a chance now. I think they still need 70 runs. And then I was like, hopefully I wake up in the morning and see the result. Went on to Tribe at 7 o'clock when I woke up. And sure enough, I just uh, knocked off the winning runs, which was disappointing from a, a neutral standpoint. Because as I said to you this morning, Sammy, if England are going to win this series, they have to win the tight games. Because I feel like the way that they play cricket and the way Australia plays cricket, there's an absolute shellacking coming their way at some mm. point in one of these test matches. Probably Lords, where Australia go really well. Yeah. Where Australia bat four, first score 600 and bowl England out twice. That's going to happen at least once. So now you're staring down the, the barrel of having to win three test matches, potentially, yeah. to win the series. And I don't know if this, they're, they're good enough to do that. There was actually a lot of criticism um, throughout the game, particularly from like the commentators, but also on social media, that Pat Cummins was playing too conservative, like his fields were mm. too stoic, and they weren't taking on Bears ball. But is that the blueprint? Do they ha- do they know what to do now? Is that or, or did England actually to just counter bo- it? With did a, England botch the chance? Traditional- I, I think they did. I think mm. uh, the botch probably came via dropped catches. To be honest, I think yep. they would have they would have won that had uh, perhaps Root taken a caught and bowled earlier. He dropped yep. a couple before he finally got Kerry. Uh, and and then, first innings, they bowled Kawaja yep. off a no ball as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. And, and missed uh, the Cam Green stumping too. And so. Bearstow's keeping was very average. He mm. dropped a couple. Um, and uh, Ben Stokes should have taken that catch. I think it was Cummins uh, with that uh, hook pull uh, shot there about uh, forty five. Minutes before the end of play. Yeah, I watched it as well. I didn't sleep very well actually because I kept rolling over to see what the deal was, and mm. you know, obviously saw the covers were on, so I didn't watch from from the start. Tried to go to sleep, and there's oh, that's right, one of the crickets started, and then rolled over, and I oh, know it's about 15 minutes away. Okay, tried to go back to sleep, and, and uh, yeah, it was very disrupted evening, but yeah. uh, but then the morning was just uh, you know. D- d- just gripping. It was brilliant. I so, don't think England capitalised on Pat Cummings' horrendous field settings and captaincy in that test. He was very negative, uh, putting a deep point and a deep mid-wicket out in the first session of a test match when you've yep. got Pat Cummins, Scott Boland and Josh Hazelwood for me was without and, and Nathan Lyon was a difference maker as well the four wickets he got, he got Joe Root in the second innings when Joe Root looked like he was uh, on the way to another century um, You know, and, and look I know this is the way they play but I think Joe Root's shot to get out was pretty pretty horrific I, as well I, in the second innings, they I, were, he was in control of that. I actually thought Nathan Lyon was going to be the top wicket taker before the test started and I think he might have actually ended up that way yeah. um, so if you are Australia then like I was saying before, do you do the same thing again? Yes. Yeah, you don't change a thing. Okay. And, and they've, I think with their batting, they've found a really nice balance. Like uh, Kawaja 
is the rock, and I think Steve Smith is as rock number two option. Um, I think Marnus is out of sorts. But but isn't that but, f- isn't it funny though that they they just won that test match? Yes. Where Steve Smith and Marnus Labuschagne no combined That's for about a massive, thirty runs, mm. and Travis Head only got a th- only got sixty odd runs combined in the test as well. Look, I think that for England is a massive lost opportunity. They win that test, I would have backed them in to win the series. I think they could have pinched at least another test. Mm. There's going to be a rain out. I think they would have won that series. Uh, but, but this is now them on the back foot. Australia don't change a thing. They, they, totally. they, they may they may bring in Mitchell Stark for Scott Boland, who I think was proven to be very ineffective as a bowler when a team is attacking him rather than just waiting to nick yeah. out to him. So I'd, I'd bring in Stark to give them a bit more aggression, but um, don't change a thing. Just the, play the way you're playing. The thing about baseball is this is still essentially what was only 12 months ago, a pretty poor England team yes. that everyone thought was, you know, sort of bottom half of, of the test rankings. It almost feels, and, you know, this, of course they've got Joe Root, etc. Et they've got some very decent players in there, but they've really been struggling. And the team hasn't basically changed. And it feels like baseball, although it's had a longer success than probably a lot of people realise, is like surprising everyone with that tactic, like uh, a rush defence or a full court press that you never saw coming. Yeah. And Australia just needs to keep remembering, actually, it's the same bunch of guys and this surprise tactic perhaps can only last so long. And I think that's what they saw today and they got uh, they got the close result as and- well. A uh, great point made from Mark Taylor during the series is what he liked about Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum is they're doing things the opposition don't want them to do. I think that backfired on them when Joe Root's on 120 not out in the first innings. They're eight down for 390. You're batting first on day one. Bat to stumps. Root could have scored another 50, 60 runs. Robinson looked in, in, in decent nick. Uh, those runs probably cost them the text. If, if they had scored 420, 430 in their first innings, they win the test. But, but the argument there is that you wouldn't have had the finish that we had had that declaration ta- taken would, place, the early draw, declaration. Well, it could have been a draw or, you know, because of the rain, we might not even have got the cricket in. So, And we just saw how many but runs the, you but, can but, score. But, but how, quickly, how quickly Root scores, they would have got those runs in the four overs that were remaining yeah, that's on, true. on but day, then, day but one how, anyway. But, but the, the plan didn't, they didn't execute the plan because had they got two wickets in that it final worked session. Out. Exactly. Correct. I'm reticent to criticise that declaration because we all know in, in, in dimming light, end of the yeah, day, that was, kind of pressure, can you survive to the end of the day. You do get wickets. Yeah. No, they didn't on day one, but yeah. there was a very good chance they could have. And look, that's what's got them where they are. Is, and they did it in the uh, in the test series against New Zealand and the pink board test where they declared at night when they were probably 60, 70 runs short of what most people thought was a good total that worked for them. Um, look, and they're going to live or die by the McCullum sword. It's mm. just how Brennan McCullum played his cricket. He lived and died by the way that he played his cricket, specifically from the time he became, became captain. Mm. Uh, and and look, they're, they're the best team in the world to watch right now. I love Harry Brook, love Joe love what they're doing love Ollie Robinson's aggression but uh, I think they are staring down the barrel of, of, of not regaining the ashes now I do think despite what I said before about Australia taking confidence of the fact that it's still that same old team England still needs to use Bazball as a technique because that's what well, they, 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 they do to the they can't change it they can't change it and they're buying themselves time to but you know, because to bowl this Australian side out, that's, but that's, that's but the that's, whole see, thing but around. That, but yeah, the whole the whole point of Bears ball is that you're forcing your opposition to play. Correct. Whereas you know, in the past, England would just put 500 runs on the board and then defend it. They they trying to force an opposition, and that's why they they dangled the carrot of 250 mm. odd runs or whatever it was to win the match. Yeah. 260 odd runs because that's an attainable target, but you have to go for it. You yeah. can't sit back. And they and, and I'm sure they knew Australia were going to go for it. Here's a question. Uh, 
is the Ashes the best cricket in the world at the moment? Yes. In terms of interest, spectacle, hype, can't can't watch delivery. Can't watch subcontinent yes. cricket because that whole spin bowler bowling the second over of the day <laughs> and just a terrible wicket. That Australian Indian series was a terrible watch. Mm. It was an awful watch. It was it was ball dominating bat to a degree that should should never go forward in, in test cricket. But look, I think you look at every every Ashes series that's been had in England since two thousand five. They've bettered the next one. So, like, that, that's the thing, right? Is, is that seems to be where the best cricket is played mm. is when England play Australia and England because the conditions even it up. Australia play England and Australia, Australia dominant team. Yeah, so, yeah. I think an Ashes series in England is the best form of cricket right now. And I guess bigger than that, it's Test cricket that I think mm. is the best. Yes, Ashes, of course, because that's the premier series of Test cricket. Yeah. But we're seeing that with New Zealand playing Test cricket as well. That, that England series here was outstanding. And but two, I can't, and but two, I, yeah. two Test matches, New Zealand played this year went down to like the mm. last ball basically so yeah. and one against England one against Sri Lanka I, so. I can't think I can't remember the last time though for a test match I've been so enthralled with every single day then the sashes. You yeah. know, it's easy to get to lose track of day three and day day two and day three. Oh five, oh five. I was in Australia for two thousand five. Showing my age here, I was um a young man followed a girl over there stupidly. But anyway, <laughs> so sorry. The point. I was living in Australia for the O five series. That was gripping. Every single day of that test series was gripping. So mm. uh, this has a lot to live up to. But the way that England are playing and the way they will continue to play means, as you said, Sammy, rightfully so, is they're going to force Australia to play cricket back at them. Mm. Yeah, and this is a as a great. Um, opening to the Ashes, you know, to have this happen in Game One just sets up the next four. I think there's going to be just so much hype around it. Um, State of Origin this evening, uh, that is a big one on the rugby league calendar for people. Um, Queenslander. Firstly, um, <laughs> do you watch it? Are you going to stay up and watch it, Ruben Bradley? I'm, honestly, I'm probably not. It's just probably going to be too late. Mate. If I'm completely honest, that's uh, actually that's a problem. That's a problem. That is a problem for a lot of is. Kiwis actually. I do know it's that a, it's you're mid-week. rewarded if you do commit to a live sports event. You go, yeah. I'm Gonna, I am going to stay up for this. I'm going to put, you know, uh, you are generally rewarded for that fact. So I'm not counting it out yet, but it's a long shot. But that, if but I'm that is a very common. Got um, a lot of work to do to look after you guys each day. That's Got to true. Start You'll early. be answering my emails at midnight. <laughs> because that's it, a common thread with a lot of Kiwis, though, who it's the middle of the week, right? And, mm. you know, it's it's a school night or a weeknight, whatever you want to call it. It's a 10 o'clock kickoff. Often that turns into 10 30 or whatever. And you're not finished until after midnight. It's, it's a big commitment, even though it is, you know, the, the greatest. You know, sort of rugby league, quote unquote, of the year. It, it's a big commitment. I'll be, I'll certainly be staying up. I do enjoy Origin. Um, Tis also the reason why State of Origin will never be hosted in New Zealand. Yeah, agreed. Because mm. of the kickoff time, because the Australian Network wants that eight eight thirty kickoff time, yeah, right? They want it late. It's just not. I don't. Just, uh, you I know, so we're not, not, not going to get a ten thirty kickoff time. But why does Australia want an eight thirty kickoff on a Wednesday night? It's prime time. It, but is, is 7.30 so the, so on prime time? You have, you I have still the, don't see us doing a 9.30 New Zealand yeah, kickoff yeah, no, but, either. But just take that but, New Zealand but thing you out see, of it. you see, like, like uh, I think it's Network 10, right, has the news 6 to 7, and then they have the project, whatever, and right. you, you have those Australian shows. They all have a new show after their new show. Like, we used to have Campbell Live. Yeah. So I think you get to that 7.38, you need a half an hour build-up, you need Phil Gould to stand mm. on the post and <laughs> yeah. tell you why this is the greatest experience <laughs> in world sport. You need Dwayne The Rock Johnson to do this as State of Origin. Shannon, um, Shannon Noel performing yeah, tonight. Yeah, for what that. about but, me? But, but yeah, um, but, yeah. But, but but why wouldn't seven thirty work? Like, isn't that prime time? Especially they're facing the same problem as us. It's a weeknight. It it's is. a Wednesday weeknight. It's just the case there. of it 
extending that broadcast and that that prime time out as late as you can. Mm. If if the game's done by nine fifteen, then have, you've you lost have, some prime opportunity to keep everything. Most people will switch off about nine. You can't yeah. have an Australian kickoff time of six six thirty. They just wouldn't. Well, not six thirty. No, but, but you know what's the latest time of a kickoff on New Zealand? Eight o'clock. Probably eight thirty. Maybe eight. No, no, no. Eight yep. o'clock would so be yeah. Eight, and I just can't see. Uh, Australia, like their, their television network, agreeing to like ten or nine, who have the rights to State of Origin, agreeing to a six o'clock kickoff. Yeah, when their news is right in the middle of that, they that's just fair. Do it. Is it does it is it weird to you, Ruben, that Kiwis get so behind State of Origin when we yeah. don't have any tie to it whatsoever? No, because it's kind of all we've got. I've grown up with it and yeah. always been a Queensland supporter and, and was really shocked actually the other day when uh, you guys on Arvos did a video trying to reveal who supported who uh, around the office. Oh, and, yeah. uh, the amount of New South Wales support actually shocked me. And Brad and I wonder if it is a generational thing. Uh, because oh, 100%. when we first got introduced to it, it was Graham Lowe, yeah. uh, who was coach. And, and it was Alfie sort of Langer, stuff. Steve Renoff, yeah. yeah. Willie Kahn. Certainly oh. watched a lot more of it when I was a young man. Yeah, Dale um, Shearer. So, so not weird to you at all, Brad, that Kiwis get so... No, look, I remember back in my schooling days at the old Carsten Boys High School, uh, at lunchtime during Origin period, it was State of Origin. Yeah, You no, just picked, too, picked yeah. Blue and Maroon, and it was 27 on 27, <laughs> and and she was all on for 45 minutes. So uh, Origin, I think, has just been a big part of uh, New Zealand sporting culture because, you know, pre-Warriors, you know, in early 90s, not, we didn't have an NRL team to root for, right? So yeah. State of Origin was it, and it was easy. Pick a side. Okay. I'm going to pick the Maroons because the Maroons have a Kiwi coach. Yeah, yeah. There's all these little caveat reasons as to I why people. I think there was also probably the underdog. Yeah, but see now, but well then you're talking about the generational, but you're talking about the generational thing. Yes. The New South Wales were the underdogs for the best part of ten yeah. years for, you know, in the mid 2000s, and mm. that is probably why a lot of people my generation support New South Wales. Um, quick prediction. Oh, um, thirteen plus Queensland. That's, yeah, okay. I think the Blues are going to win tonight. Wow. Can we just get that? But I also think up, please, I Robbie? also think Queensland will win in Sydney in the last game. But I Ooh, that's a I, big call. That's a big call back in Sydney. Brad Fittler, uh, perfect record in game twos. New South Wales have won eight of the last ten game twos. I think it is or something yep. similar to that. Uh, and there's very rarely do you get a dead rubber in state of origin because it's that little two percent more where you have to win that matters in origin. And look, let's be honest. Uh, New South Wales were a missed tackle away from from winning that people, game. People need to remember that in that in game one, New South Wales should have won that game. Yeah, they apart were the, from the last ten minutes. Aside from the first ten minutes and the last ten minutes, yeah. they were the best side for an hour. Yeah, they just didn't do enough to put them away. The key will be Jerome Luai has to have the best game of his life tonight. And if he does that, Mitchell Moses will take care of anything else, and I think they can win. Yeah, I think there's a few players in there that have to have their best games of life. Uh, we've got to take a break. Uh, boys, stay there. When we come back, uh, there's a couple more topics I want to get into, including the all-white saga um, that's continually developing after yesterday. Uh, if you want to react to anything, text on double eight double three. If you want to throw a topic at us as well, uh, we'd love to hear it. We'll take a short break here. Back in a moment. 26 minutes past 12 here on ECNZ Afternoons with Staffy and doing something different here on a Wednesday. Our working name at the moment is the Wednesday Caucus because I feel like it's semi-political. Um, yeah. What happened to Cabinet? You suggested Cabinet I, I thought Cabinet and I thought Caucus was a bit more um, specific. You know, Cabinet is the whole... Sort of cabinet, shebang, but cabinet it? is 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 the upper echelon. That's the ministers. Caucus is everyone. And yeah, well, no, I, I, I think, want I think it to that's a bit more, no, like, like a little bit of a you know the upper echelon. No, no, no. See, that's the problem with you, Ruben. You're elitist. VIPs. <laughs> you're elitist. I want everyone involved. That's why it's the caucus. <laughs> you're a man of, of the people, Samuel. Exactly. Uh, a couple of texts coming on double eight, double three. We'll get to very shortly. We want to talk about the all whites um, story, which mm. obviously broke yesterday morning. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they refused to come back out at halftime. Racial slur. And what's happened over the last 24 hours, and Qatar now have come out, and in a way, predictably, 
sort of back, you know, denied it, but then thrown out the accusation that it was the New Zealand footballers who, who used the racial slur on Qatar, which to me just means there's going to be this investigation and it's just going to be he said, she said, and mm. nothing's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if you are in Qatar's <laughs> position, uh, FIFA's position for that matter as well, that's your only They've turned tactic it into a he said, she said. Exactly. Well, he and said, he said. make the thing, yeah. the thing so messy and convoluted and, uh, yeah, you know, one person's word against another that nothing can be resolved. And they essentially desperately need to make sure that the referee heard nothing. Yeah, and Andrew Dewhurst actually raised a good point. You say he mm. said the difference in this is going to be whether there's any audio they mm. can find. Yeah. No audio, and it, it, this issue will not get resolved at no. all. If there is somehow some microphone somewhere that picked up what was said, then different story. But mm. yeah, yeah. Look, as, if, uh, as, if, as if FIFA was going to do anything to begin with anyway. But now they've, like you said, it's almost landed on a platter for them to do absolutely nothing. The only thing that makes me. A little bit curious if they might try to be stronger than perhaps most of us suspect is the fact, and credit Ricardo raised this point this morning, the next big tournament is here. Yes. So they they can't just ignore New Zealand because they have no um, influence in the footballing world. Actually, this year we do have a little bit of influence. Mm. I was going to ask you because Samantha Hayes last night on TV3 News Hub called it Cutter. So as oh, a yes. former television producer, oh, okay. yeah, is well, it Qatar or Qatar? I, yeah. thought, I go yeah, with Sam Hayes because she pronounces everything. I was going to say, you're absolutely well right. Qatar, Qatar was, uh, what, Qatar. I do remember being coached on that at one All right. stage. Qatar, yep. all right. And okay. uh, also a great job, Michael O'Keefe on his two news hub stories yesterday. <laughs> did a great job. Look, I hate these stories. They're just icky and uh, not what sport's about. And this is why we need to stamp out racism across sport. And what is annoying is that... Um, Qatar have now played the the he said he said card, yeah. and they've played the they've played their side of of the racial card. And look, I didn't see too many Qatar players um, fire up immediately. Where I saw yeah. eleven all whites, all pretty pumped up and, and furious about what was said. And Joe Bell, who's a pretty chill dude, yeah. uh, that's as, as animated as you'll ever see that guy. So clearly. It was something very offensive to the point where Joe and um, Darren Baisley and the light were just like, and, let's not go and, out. And um, uh, Mata, what's the guy's name? Um, I can't remember his first name, but Mata. Max? Is it Max? Max? Yeah. He, um, you watch the video. He runs straight up to the referee saying, yeah, you, can't you? Say yeah. you can't he say that. Say that. Yeah. You can't say that. He did say that, yeah. You don't just run up and say that if your teammates making something. You know what I mean? Like that's an instant and I reaction. Do, I do agree. When we were talking about this yesterday uh, in the newsroom as we were all debriefing it as well, the guy, no one makes this stuff up. Like you well, wouldn't know. You Not wouldn't when you're have up come, 1-0. Ex- exactly. You wouldn't have sat in the dressing room or, you know, and, and doubled down on on if, if one person had heard something. You know, it, it, if one person had thought they'd heard something and no one else had, I don't think you would have had a whole team yeah. uh, plus officials refusing to come out. The, no the, one makes this stuff up. And it's possible that this player in uh, post-game has, you know, potentially, and his teammates may not have heard any of the racism that he's saying was directed at him. He may just have said this as a defense mechanism and now his football federation are backing him, which is fair enough Mm. because he's probably come out and said, I was racially abused throughout the match as well. Now, the newsroom and uh, NZ Herald, I think, reported yesterday that there was the use of the N-word, and that was the racial slur that was used. Um, and Ricardo did raise a point that sometimes, and this is absolutely zero excuse, but sometimes uh, some of those countries aren't as sensitive to a word like that, so it gets thrown out 
not sort of thinking that's that offensive, even though it very much is. Mm-hmm. And that, like I said, is no excuse. But maybe there's a bit of lost in translation there as well. That, I'm not sure. That may There may be a lost in translation or, or something like that. It hasn't quite made sense. I think the biggest issue was that in the moment, absolutely nothing was done Correct. about it. That, it was that not, is what there the, was no talking to. There was no nothing. There was no, I've got to find out what's what happening. Whites, it was just like, no, go away. That is what the all-whites have said were they most upset about is the fact that the officials did nothing about it. And that's why they refused to come out at halftime. Got to take a break for news, sport and weather, gents. Just one more. Uh, quick topic I want to bring up with you. Uh, we do have Trent Copeland joining us uh, in around about 10 or 15 minutes' time to talk about the Ashes. Uh, keep your texts coming in on double eight double three. We'll be back after new sport and weather. Nice little shortened version there. Oh, we're, we're going to go back to the start as well. Afternoons with Staffy here. Sammy sitting in for Staffy today. Uh, and then McIver's taking over Thursday, Friday. Have uh, Brad Lewis and Ruben Bradley in the studio with me, just chewing the fat on some topics. Um... Someone's texting here, what about Cristiano Ronaldo getting a goal in his 200th appearance this morning? What a legend. Does, do, do we still care about Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> I, well, I can't completely so switch Ronaldo. off Ronaldo because seven-year-old still runs around as all exactly. about Ronaldo. Right. See, that, so, isn't that the key, though? Isn't this is that? my issue. So he, paint this picture. Where I'm at my kids' football game on Saturday, and uh, all of them, whenever they score a goal, do the old Sue. Yeah, and yeah. before the game, the coach is like, right, what do you guys want to do on three? And they're like, Sue. So like, one, two, three. And the whole team went, Sue. <laughs> so you got like 11 little fellas doing, it's just, it's just really graining. I'm like, son, Messi is a better player. <laughs> what? Honestly, like him, no. like him more. But he doesn't do the Sue dad. I'm like, yeah, uh, he, he t- takes off his top and just sort of waves his name around. Yeah. Like, I've just sort of switched. I've also sort of switched off from an elite following football. I've sort of switched off Messi now as you're well. You're not interested in him in the MLS? I'm curious, but from an elite footballing thing, no. I'm, sure bit, I'm a little bit more interested in the MLS, maybe, be, mm. but less interested in Messi. And then the same thing happened for Ronaldo once he the went Saudi to Saudi League Saudi Arabia. In three years' time, is going to have all of the best players in the world. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna, telling you, like like 70 percent of the best the players in the world are going to be playing the Saudi League. And you're right, it's going to be like the IPL, and they may have to reconfigure club windows around the Saudi Arabian League. Oh, that's a great topic. I'd love to talk about that. Talk to you about that another time. Um, just quickly, lads, we've got about two minutes. Um, we haven't talked any uh, rugby yet, Super Rugby this weekend. Uh, Chiefs or Crusaders, Rubes? Uh, Chiefs, Chiefs uh, by seven. Okay. I just think uh, they've, they've just been so good this year. I, 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 it's the heart really wants. I'm a Blues fan, but the heart really wants that to happen. Formerly Chiefs, though, because I'm a Harbour boy. We were Chiefs when Super Rugby started. Don't forget that Chiefs for life. <laughs> <laughs> but just the season they've had, they deserve it. It will be incredibly tough. I could well be wrong, but yeah. As as a neutral, not not really fuss. What I will leave you with is at the start of the year, if you said the Chiefs and the Crusaders would play three times, how many times the Crusaders win? You would say at least once. Mm. Scott Robertson is the best coach in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he will figure out a way to get the job done. And I tell you what, I was talking to my father-in-law and we both said at exactly the same time as we were debriefing last Friday's game against the Blues. It was like, I'm really glad that he's going to be coaching the All Blacks. Yeah, Because well, it was just like, for him to do that with that team that he had, it was like, Okay, that's if, all right. This is okay. If he is, if he isn't already, if he wins on um, Saturday, he will be in my mind the greatest Super Rugby coach of all time, and that could extend to the All Blacks. Should you know it go how his Super Rugby career has gone, it'll be very interesting over the next couple of years. Gents, we're running out of time. Uh, thanks heaps for coming in. Uh, debut of the Wednesday caucus. No, it may change to cabinet should you pick up your game. In the <laughs> no sub chat. <laughs> no submarine chat. Wanted to talk about the lost submarine in oh, the North Atlantic, crikey. but we don't have time. We'll do that another day. <laughs> 
maybe you can do it with I, Stephen McIver tomorrow. I hope. That I oh, I just you want that miracle. You want that caving style miracle. Yeah, that's true. Well, it may happen. We'll keep eyes on it. Thanks, gents. Thanks for coming in. There you go, Ruben Bradley, Brad Lewis, joining us in studio. We're going to talk some ashes after the break. Trent Copeland, former Australian cricketer and uh, TV commentator, as well. He's going to jump on the line and revel in that Australian victory over England in Game One of the Ashes. 18 minutes away from 1 o'clock here on SENZ. Sammy sitting in for staff today. Someone's just texting here, I have $25 left in my TAB account. What should I put, be putting it on? I think Stephen Crichton scores a try tonight, State of Origin, regardless of the result, going up against Hamiso Tabuaifeta, who isn't the best defensively. And I just see Stephen Crichton getting over the try line. $3.30 as well, if you want to have a dabble. Right, going to talk some Ashes cricket. What a finish to that game this morning. You could not have scripted a better game one in the Ashes. Australia getting the job done by two wickets with Pat Cummins getting the winning runs with about four overs left in the day's play. Joining us on the line now to have a bit of a chat about it, Trent Copeland. He's a former Australian cricketer, has done some commentary on Channel 7, also been on SEN this week, and it's a great pleasure to welcome him into the show. Now, uh, good afternoon. Good morning to you, Trent. Yeah, good morning. I'll forewarning, I am absolutely delirious, tired, I am buzzing, I don't know what to do. Uh, it is one of the great mornings of Australian cricket, uh, great evenings if you were in England celebrating. But uh, look, how about test cricket, eh? Oh. I am a purist of the highest order and I'm, I, I go into this conversation very much biased towards the Red Bull game. But kudos to England and Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullum. But just generally, nothing can match what we have just witnessed over the last five days. Oh, I agree, Trent. I think it's going to be go down as one of the great all-time great Ashes Test matches. And the thing is, I, I as a Kiwi, haven't been this excited for a Test series probably since uh, only a couple of years ago when we first, uh, well, not first, but we got to come back over and play Australia at the MCG on Boxing Day. That was a, that was a massive deal for Kiwis. But outside of that... The build-up to this series has been incredible. You've got two sides that are arguably the two best sides in the, in the world at the moment. England uh, resurgent. Australia have just won the World Test Championship. And you could not have scripted a better first game because, look, we, we, something else could have happened here. England might have, you know, scored 500 in the first innings. Australia collapsed. But we got literally what everyone has been wanting for the best part of a year and a half. Yeah, and if not longer, I don't recall, I, I think I was talking to Vossi on Tracky Radio here in Sydney on SEN yesterday about 2005, that Ashes series, the famous Ashes series. It's the last time I can remember this type of uh, interest from all around the world, but it was more after the fact. Anticipation-wise, I don't recall in my lifetime anything as big as this. And then to come up with what we saw today, you know, we are talking... That Edgbaston match in 2005, we're talking in Australian cricket terms, the famous World Cup semi-final with the underarm down the non-strikers and from Damien Fleming. This was one of those days and one of those moments. And I've got to say, Pat Cummins for PM. That is where <laughs> my head's at. It, because it has to go down as one of the greatest captain's performances of all time. With the yeah. ball throughout the match, but... He hasn't had a great deal of runs in the lead-up to this series. Hasn't had any match practice, uh, you know, bar the World Test Championship. And then comes out after Ollie Robinson gives a little jab about how bad the bottom uh, order is for Australia. And he and Nathan Lyon get the job done, well supported, obviously, by the top order in Usman Khawaja and the like. But honestly, I'm sure you can tell in my voice, I'm I'm just overjoyed with what's just transpired. And, And... 
the fact we've got four more tests to come. I know. That, that's that, that's the thing. You know, you, you, this is this is game number one. I just it just sets the whole tone for the series, which uh, I I can't wait for. Trent, um, it's funny you brought up Edge Baston back in two thousand and five because I don't know if you know this, but the total that Australia needed to get back in that Test match was two hundred and eighty two, and they fell two yeah. they fell two runs shy. It might have been two eighty one. They fell two runs shy. In a way, for Australians, does this almost feel like a bit of vindication? Is this a little bit of we've got one back over you <laughs> after two thousand and five? Well, the parallels don't stop there. I mean, in that match, it was Brett Lee who batted with Michael Kasperowitz, and he was 40 not out at the end. And he batted in the same position as Pat Cummins. It was a very similar type of, oh, well, now that they're down to these two, they won't get there, they won't get there. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez, they're right there. They could do this. And then, of course, the Michael Kasperowitz famous dismissal at the end. And uh, look, I'm with you. Uh, I can't help but have thought to myself in those moments, geez, I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> uh, but the boys got it done. And what a, what a celebration. Uh, you know, the, the scenes at the venue, everyone who was there over the course of this five days, I saw Joe Root reference this as well post-match. Everyone that's there over the course of those five days, particularly today, will be cricket fans for life. They will be fans of individuals for life. And they will reference this moment in time as why they love the game. Yeah. And that is what we're all here for and, yeah. and why we love it so much. Yeah, I mean, packed out Edge Baston, the, the crowd noise. Uh, we certainly heard it through the speakers here on ECN and ECNZ, but, uh, but watching on TV as well. Just sometimes you couldn't even hear the commentators. It was that loud. Let's, let's talk about the, uh, the, the match specifically and where it was won or lost. Now, I, uh, we had uh, former Black Caps captain Jeremy Coney on yesterday, and I asked him the question, should it come down to a couple of runs, maybe a wicket or two, or the final over, will there be pressure put on that decision from Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum to declare early? Jeremy Coney didn't think so, but here we are, Trent, the game won by two wickets and arguably the last you know, one to four overs. Is there going to be pressure or should there be pressure put on that decision? Well, uh, in essence, my opinion is no, because we wouldn't have been in this situation had that not happened in my opinion. Uh, and I think one of the great credits to Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes and the team that are playing the way they are playing. A lot of people talk about baseball as, you know, the reverse ramps by Joe Root for six and things like that. But it is the overarching intent of the team to move the game forward and make it entertaining. So, yeah, uh, look, I, I say no. I say long live this type of cricket and this mentality. Um, yes, you are going to lose games by doing it, but you give yourself far more opportunities to win. This has long been the New South Wales cricket mantra, is declarations, putting yourself and almost dangling the carrot to an opposition so that they play a certain way that opens the door to opportunities. Mm. So that's my view on the situation. Look at what I would say is they need to look hard at things like Johnny Bairstow's wicket-keeping, yep. the, the dismissals that were maybe missed along the way. Um, and potentially the team makeup. I thought once partnerships were established for Australia, um, maybe they didn't have the differential of a Mark Woods pace, for example. Um, but look, that's all in hindsight. And I, you know, I can't wait for Lords because it's going to be just such a different style of cricket. It won't be flat. It won't be docile. It'll be, you know, contest between bat and ball the whole way through. So. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fascinatingly poised. Yeah, so, if, you know, there are still four games to go. You mentioned that before, and sometimes we can forget it, given what we've just seen. But four games still to go. So 
do you think um, what what specifically about this game do you think Australia will be looking at and bottling up heading into the next four games because it's the first time they've faced that that sort of Bears ball style from England and given they've got the result you could argue they they handled it perfectly so what do they need to bottle up there and take into game two well, you know what? Uh, watching the coverage, and, and not necessarily on SDM, but largely the TV coverage, um, they, they, the Aussies copped it for how they approach this game. Uh, you know, people like Kumar Sangakara coming out and saying, you know, it's Pat Cummins is very one-dimensional in the way he thinks, and we're, we're all seeing it. It's defensive in, its, in his mindset. You know, like, it, it was criticism because we started the match in ball one, deep point on the fence. Mm. Um, it wasn't just a, oh, hey, come on, let's just throw a fielder out there. Pat referenced the fact that, uh, you know, it was analytics-driven. It was, okay, how do we attack this team for this contest the best way possible? And, you know, I think, you know, I don't necessarily agree with some of the fields or some of the plans, but what it did do was understand what was going to happen, control to a degree the momentum of the game so that when they did make breakthroughs, they were able to strike and the scoreboard wasn't away from them on the most part. So, look, if I'm going to bottle anything up, I think it would be largely we can withstand the pressure. We can, at times, let the game get away from us and still come back and win. Mm. So that's what I'm really clinging to. And I guess on top of that, you, you cling to Usman Khawaja in the change room and you say, mate, <laughs> how, how are you doing it? This is bloody unreal because, you know, let's not forget this fact. We've won that match with Marnus Labuschagne and Steve Smith scoring no more than 30 runs combined. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, there's upside in the change room as well. So uh, exciting times for Australian cricket, but and the the series in general and England too. So what are are England, um, do you think, needing to look at? You mentioned a couple of, you know, maybe personnel changes there, but I guess in their approach to the match, was there anything they did wrong on on day five? What what are they going to learn going into game two? Look, I think the answer is no. Not necessarily they did anything wrong. Uh, Maybe just some execution errors. I thought Joe Root was absolutely outstanding throughout the match in how he played. Um, What I will expect that they will do is potentially look at Moeen Ali's role in the side for this particular next test match if there is a traditional Lord's wicket with grass on the pitch, nice, fast, bouncy conditions. They may, may well look to someone like Chris Wokes, who's got an amazing record at the venue, uh, or potentially Mark Wood for something different uh, and ask you know Joe Root and the like to be their spin uh, to hold up an end if need be. But um, look, I don't think either team need to change too much. I mean, it was one of the great test matches ever, and that was because both teams were really, really good. Yeah, very tight margins. Uh, Trent, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, my friend, I know you, you are still recovering. I can't imagine what it's going to be like over the next four tests should it uh, should it continue down this trend. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of late nights and uh, heart palpitations, but uh, do, do appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully talk again soon. Yeah, no worries. I wish I was in England so I could be joining the other Aussies over there strutting around in London and and the like uh, (laughs) after that. But what a great day for cricket in general. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Cheers. There you go. Uh, Trent Copeland joining us out of Australia. He has absolutely fizzed up and there's so much 
like banter and sledging amongst the English and the Aussie cricketing fans. So whichever way it goes in each test, uh, you can imagine the 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 streets are going to be loud and uh, and very boisterous. But uh, great to gra- uh, catch up with Trent there. Uh, we'll take a short break, come back with more after this. Coming up to 1 o'clock here on SCNZ Afternoons with Staffy. After 1, we're going to catch up with uh, sports freak, rugby league writer, uh, Stephen Gallagher. He is over in Sydney. He is going to... Win Stadium on Friday night to see the Dragons take on the Warriors. He's a big Dragons fan, but he's also going to talk to us about Origin Game 2 tonight. And I've given you the tip already, Pony. Stephen Crichton, anytime try scorer this evening for New South Wales. Regardless of whether they win or lose, I think he's going to score a try. Just quickly, um, a text in here from our Aussie friend, just driving around Brisbane City now, up Caxton Street, working Maroon supporters everywhere already. I think the atmosphere tonight is going to be second to none and the Aussies have fizzed up because of the Ashes so they're hoping certainly the Queenslanders they're hoping to go uh, two from two break for news sport and weather talk some rugby league after one o'clock as well as a bunch of other things don't forget running it straight myself and Kempi between two and three today back in a mo three minutes after one here on ECNZ afternoons with Staffy no Staffy uh, for the remainder of this week so uh me, Sammy, taking you through today until 3 o'clock, running it straight between 2 and 3, and then Stephen McIver is taking you through tomorrow and Friday. We have live commentary of the Warriors-Dragons on Friday night, build up from 9 and uh, kick off at 10pm. We do have live commentary of Origin tonight as well, so you want to tune in for that. Um, just quickly previewing running it straight this afternoon between 2 and 3, myself and Kempe. Uh Kevin Campion, he's going to jump on, talk to us a little bit about the Warriors and some State of O, and then uh, Brett Kamali as well. Uh, who is going to be on the call for SEN this evening. So uh, plenty of rugby league chat between two and three, but also a little bit of rugby league chat now. Um, we're going to catch up very shortly with Stephen Gallagher, sports freak, rugby league writer. He's a massive Dragons fan. He's going to the game on Friday night, and he's also uh, going to talk to us a little bit about State of Origin. Just before we do get to him, though, a couple of text messages that have come in on double eight, double three. Ken says, Sam, i got the Blues by eight tonight and Dragons by ten. So you're going for the underdogs, Ken. I know you do love the underdogs. You say, how good was the Ashes? The Ashes were absolutely fantastic. Um, Hi, team. I love everything about the station. Is it available on an FM channel? Go the Mighty Chiefs from Ian. Go the Mighty Chiefs indeed, Ian. Uh, You can listen on the SEN app, and I actually love and prefer listening on the SEN app because it is uh, high definition, hi-fi. So give that a download, my friend, and uh, and you'll be able to listen to us in that full FM. Uh, Marcy says, Sam, where's Staffy? Uh, He's just off for a week. He's just taking a break. Um, He had some uh, paintings and stuff that he needed to finish up and just wanted a bit of a break, so good on him. And uh, Josh said, loving the chat lads great new segment this referring to our uh, our Wednesday caucus that we had between 12 and 1 so uh, thanks for that uh, Josh appreciate the message right let's talk some rugby league some rugby league the great game and two very big fixtures this week on the list for uh, Kiwi rugby league fans the first one of course state of origin tonight and then on Friday the Warriors take on the Dragons fresh off the bye up in Wollongong. So joining us now to uh, talk through it all is uh, Sports Freak Rugby League writer and uh, a massive Dragons fan himself, uh, Stephen Gallagher. Welcome in, Stephen. Uh, thank you, Sam. How are you, mate? I'm doing fantastically well. It's, it's I get a little bit of withdrawals when the Warriors have a bye week. So uh, we're back on deck and State of Origin, mate. It's uh, it's an exciting time. Let, let's start with uh, State of O uh, this evening. Uh, now, I know you're a, you're a New South Wales fan, as am I, uh, but it is hard, very hard, to, uh, to go past Queensland at Suncorp and no Latrell Mitchell for New South Wales. 
Yeah, I think a little part of me died when I heard uh, Latrell Mitchell was ruled out uh, yet again. Um, obviously, he's such a key player. He's such an important player to this New South Wales back line. We know what he's capable of doing. Um, doesn't matter whether, whether he's wearing the centre jersey or the full-back jersey. Uh, he just roams. He just creates incredible amounts of opportunities for that already stacked New South Wales back line. And, yeah, it will be tough, uh, especially going up to uh, Queensland. Suncorp is obviously a bit of a cauldron. Um, it's hard to go up there and win, especially when your backs are against the wall. And, um, you know, we, we didn't see the, the best New South Wales performance in game one, despite, you know, being 10 minutes short of picking up that victory. And if it wasn't for a, a big skip pass and uh, a bit of space to hammer so Tabuai Fido, um, I think the Blues might have got away with that one. But, uh it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough ask, but I think, um, you know, if, if your backs are against the wall, you know, this shows what sort of what are you made of, and I think that's a big question that's being posed tonight. Yeah, and go, just going back to Latrell, I, I even think more so than, you know, his his athletic ability, and he is a, he is a freak on the rugby league field, but I think even more so, um, Stephen, if I, if I sort of said to you, you know, who do you want in a big-time game you know, down 1-0 in the series at Queensland, at Suncorp, in a hostile territory, Latrell Mitchell's the first person that you put that you put on that team sheet. So I think even more so than what he brings just, you know, from a from an athletic point of view, it's just the mentality that New South Wales will probably miss tonight. You know, if you if you were just to pick a one on one New South Wales versus Queensland game, your, your first person you're picking is, is Latrell Mitchell, right? He would be licking his lips at the opportunity to shut the Queenslanders up, especially up there. He would absolutely froth that opportunity, and like you said, he's just an all round athlete. Like he he lives for these sorts of opportunities, and he'll be he'll be watching the game, and he'll just be spewing that he's not out there with this niggling calf injury that he's got. Mm. So Freddie's uh, made a, a bunch of changes to the side. Some of them have been forced through injury. Others uh, are just positional switches. What? Uh, where do you think he has got it right? Where do you think he's got it wrong? Oh, I think, um, look, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the main factors that Nico Hines has been dropped, right? And, you know, three weeks ago, he was the next man up because he made that 17-man squad in, in Adelaide. And all of a sudden, he's no longer there, and Mitchell Moses has got that. And I think, obviously, uh, that, that round that he was selecting from, Moses had an absolute blinder. Uh, Nico Hines didn't play that well. Adam Reynolds didn't play that well. So perhaps that's what forced his hand into that situation. But I, I genuinely believe that Nico Hines should be there. I mean, he's a Dalian Player of the Year from uh, 2022. Um, what he offers that shark side is just phenomenal. And I think in a stage like this, he's already talked about his hate for Queensland around origin time. If he had that opportunity um, here in Suncorp, um, I'm sure he would have taken it. So it's a bit of a tough one for me. I would have got that. Um, I do love the inclusion of uh, Reese Robson on debut on the bench. Um, he's a bit like the New South Wales Reuben Cotter, I suppose, and mm. uh, plays plays club footy with uh, Cotter, obviously. And he's got that physical nuggety presence where he can come out. He's um, got an opportunity to really play and take that physicality out of the game and then let Damien Cook do his thing as well. So... I think that's a really good inclusion. And too, when um, Stefano Utakaimanu as well starting uh, on debut, Tigers, uh, obviously not the best club in the NRL the last 15 years, but um, <laughs> he's been one of their shining lights as well. So I think he's, he's ready for it. He's got a big physical presence. He's a smart footy player. He knows what to do and, and when. So I think, you know, those two inclusions are really good. Um, I think I would start Liam Martin. Um, yeah. is obviously, uh, he was a standout for New South Wales in game one, without a doubt. He was fantastic. 
I think I'd start him uh, over Hudson Young. I have uh, Tyson Brazil on one edge, and um, I'd also have uh, Liam Martin on the other. Just because Liam Martin's just, he's just too good. Like, he can play 80 minutes. Like, whether he plays, you know, off the bench or starts, he's such a physical presence. But I think they need to take it to Queensland in the first 15 minutes. And what we saw Liam Martin do when he came on in game one was just phenomenal. So I'd really like to see um, a late positional switch there and have him start instead of Hudson Young. Looking at Queensland, and you know it, it is essentially the same side they named in Game One. I mean, their bench. When I look at that, Harry Grant, Thomas Flegler, Ruben Cotter, Moeka Fotuaika, it, it is a, a very, very strong bench for them. Where, where do you think they are? Where is a weak point for them? I mean, clearly in Game One there were moments where New South Wales dominated. What, what is it from Game One that, that New South Wales need to replicate in Game Two? And where do you think Queensland might just be a little bit vulnerable? I think, um, I honestly believe, you know, the Queensland's vulnerability comes in their second row. Like, we haven't really seen much of um, uh, uh, Nanai this year. He's obviously been injured or suspended, so he's sort of come in. Obviously, he's done the job at Origin time last year, and he had such a phenomenal season for the Cowboys last year, but he hasn't been playing that well. So I think there's uh, a little bit of uh, time on the edge there where we can sort of, where the New South Wales can sort of uh, execute. Um, Obviously, if if he's going up on the same side as... um, Tom Trevojevic, um, you know, if he gets a bit of open space, or even Stephen Crichton if he's on that side too. Like, they're just really good rangy centres that can just produce something out of nothing. But I think um, what Queensland um, are really vulnerable is just yeah, in that little second row, sort of second row centre. We saw a little bit of breakdown in that in game one, but what New South Wales didn't do enough in game one was just give it a bit more air. So we didn't really get to see that tested fully. I didn't think that... Um, despite the fact that Queensland obviously got the game, they got the win, I didn't think that they played that well. Um, you know, they made a lot of errors, so they'll need to be really concerned about that. They'll need to play stronger, play smarter. Obviously, coming back to their home state gives them a bit more opportunity to play um, with a bit more confidence, and they'll have, you know, 80,000 um, Queensland fans with their two heads on screaming at them. So it's about 160,000 fans. Um, <laughs> screaming, screaming the house down at Suncourt. But, um, yeah, I think if New South Wales want to, you know, play along that edge, I think they might might have a little bit of success. But um, Queensland are just so good. They always come up for this, you know. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, they they bide their time in, in Adelaide and they did what they needed to do to get the win. But it's just it's hard for New South Wales to sort of compete with that when they just don't have that sort of edge. And obviously whatever Slater's is bringing to this Queensland side is pretty impressive. So good yeah. on whatever he's doing up there. It's fantastic to watch. Just before I ask you for a prediction, um, Stephen Summers texts in here. Sammy, can you please ask Stephen if he expects any New South Wales players to cut, to really come out of their shell tonight, much like Ben Craig did back in when New South Wales were under pressure during the Queensland streak. <laughs> can you see anyone, you know, sort of bursting onto the scene? Uh, I, I have a feeling who I know that text message come from, so that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. That's a little personal dig at, at Ben Cray. I love that. Um, look, I, I would really like to see uh, the likes of Payne Haas take it to uh, the Queenslanders because he's a little bit quiet in game one, but he's obviously, um, before the Delhi M's went behind uh, closed doors in round 15, he was leading the Delhi M's because he's just a, a phenomenal player. And whatever he's doing at Brisbane is just so good, and I really want to see him just take it to the likes of Tino Faasu Malawi and um, Flegler, and I just want to see him just dominate like he does at Clubland, but I want to see him do it for New South Wales. What's your prediction, mate, tonight? Oh, look, I I think there's eight points in it. I think uh, it, game twos are traditionally high scoring. Yep. Um, Freddie Fittler's never lost a game two while in charge of New South Wales, so there's a little bit of fun fact for you. But I'm thinking um, a 26-18 for our first try scorer, Blues by 
eight. Um, that'll bode well for me too because I'm off to game three. So I'd like to see uh, yeah. it all on the line for game three. Fantastic. All right, mate. Uh, we want to talk some NRL as well. The Warriors-Dragons this Friday night. You are a massive Dragons fan and uh, you are heading to the game in Wollongong for uh, for this late on Friday night New Zealand time. Uh, firstly, uh, Stephen, pretty tough to be a Dragons fan at the moment. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. Um, it's not often you see the Dragons lingering um, bottom of the table. They've never won a spoon as a joint venture, which is pretty impressive. So hopefully we can sort of keep it that way. But yeah, look, whatever's happening with uh, Ben Hunt, um, and obviously we've just signed a new coach for 2023 as well. So not a lot to be excited about in 2022, but there's um, prospects here for 2023 to look all right. What about, I mean, there's so much going on off the field. Um, how are the fans and yourself viewing the team on the field? Because I'm actually surprised with how well they are going, given all of those circumstances. We've seen, you know, what, what it does to teams like the Tigers and the Titans and, and how they languish down the bottom when they get these sorts of uh, disruptions off the field. But the, the, the Dragons have sort of surprisingly been okay. What's, what's sort of your and the fans' reaction to how they've been going on the field? Look, I think we're a bit of a blue collar side where we just kind of get our, you know, we just kind of roll our sleeves up and get it done. We might not get it done all the time, um, but we, we're competing, and I think that's a lot to say about the DNA of the club. Obviously, when you get two two teams and you and you become a, a joint venture, it's always really tough with the two boards and everything like that that have to agree on everything. And I know um, they didn't necessarily agree on Shane Flanagan when that was um, when that came up a couple of years ago, but they've obviously changed their minds here. Um, on the field, it's very much a one-man side. Uh, it's Ben Hunt and uh, 16 other players. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. A lot of young guys. Like we've got um, Toby Couchman. He's been fantastic for us this year, making his debut earlier in the year. Um, I really like the look of Michael Muller as well, um, Francis Muller's younger brother. He's been great this year. Um, and obviously it's Jack DeBellin's 200th game this, um, this weekend too. So they didn't get up for Ben Hunt's 300th, but hopefully they get up for um, DeBellin's 200th game. Now, I agree with you that Ben Hunt is really the key for the Dragons. I think without him on the field, there's, there's almost no direction. Or I'm not sure where that direction comes from. The big question mark, uh, Stephen, is obviously origin tonight. And should Queensland win tonight? There's, there's going to be probably long celebrations into the evening. Ben Hunt has the shortest turnaround of any of the Origin players, just 48 hours, but assuming that they win and there's celebrations and, and that goes into the night, you know, he, he's looking at a pretty short stretch between Thursday morning and Friday evening. He has been named to start at seven. Will he start? And if he does, is he going to play a full 80 minutes, do you think? Well, I think the saving grace is the fact that he's not an 80-minute player in origin. Obviously, him and uh, Harry Grant, um, they switch up every now and again, which is fantastic um, for Queensland. They make such a good uh, dynamic duo on the field as hookers. But um, I would say that Ben Hunt will back up. Um, I just think he's that sort of bloke. Like He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that, obviously, whatever's gone on in the media this week and him asking for releases um, you know, plagued the club this week, but... He's not the sort of guy that's going to kick stones or anything like that. And whether Queensland win or Queensland lose, I'm pretty sure he'll back up um, a couple of days later, 48 hours later, and then um, get the job done for the Dragons. Let's look at the, uh, the the team that you're coming up against, the Warriors, and obviously that is our big f- focus over here um, across the ditch. Uh, how how do you view them as an opponent? They're fresh off the bye. They got that win against the Raiders in, uh, in Croker's 300th game. Are Dragons fans confident, nervous, bullish? Where, where do they sit? 
obviously, this this uh, Warriors side has been fantastic to watch this year. Um, even in the games that they've lost, they've been really competitive, been really good. Um, we've got the second coming of Sean Johnson, which has been fantastic to witness, um, putting a lot of pressure on the Kiwi halves of Dylan Brown and uh, Jerome Hughes. Uh, what I really like about uh, this Warriors side is that they just don't take a backward step. They've just been able to... They don't care who they come up against. You know, they obviously had this massive task ahead of them in, in Canberra a couple of weeks ago for Crocus 300th, and they were just there to spoil the party. You know, they, they grounded out. Their forwards played really, really well. They muscled up massively in the first 40, and they just tired those Raiders forwards out, and that's what they did really well. And then when they came into the second half, they had a fuller running, a fuller energy, and the Raiders just didn't, couldn't offer a shot. So that's what they're really good at. They're just really good at... Um, coming up one-on-one in their, in their defence and on attack as well. They're really good at that. And I think they've got a lot of experienced players. They've got a lot of rep players in that side as well. You look at the likes of Vanua Blake up front. Uh, Bunty Arfors represented Samoa as well. Um, the likes of uh, Murata Niukori and Tohu Harris as well. They're both representative players. They're really good up front, and that's what makes a difference in this pack where you compare it to the likes of uh, the Dragons who... You know, they've got Jack Bird, who's, you know, played Origin many years ago. Jaden Sewer as well. Jack DeBellin. Haven't, you know, they haven't been around that representative um, stage for a little while now. But mm. um, if I was picking the Warriors, I'd make sure that, you know, just go out and attack those Dragons forwards early on. You know, make it difficult for them. Make it tough, you know. We've obviously seen that the Warriors don't care about who they're playing or where they're playing. They'll just try and get the job done. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you where you think the Dragons might be a, a most vulnerable, but uh, if I put, if you put your Dragons head on, where is there any where across the park that you think the Dragons maybe do have the advantage? I really like um, Tyrell Sloan. I think he's a fantastic player, but... He's one of those players that um, when his head's on, his head's on, but when his head's off, it is miles off. And we've seen, you know, a few brain explosions from him this year. I think he's really, really good. I think he's got a little bit more expected than what um, Chance Michael Klukstar offers. Obviously, uh, Chance is a fantastic player. He's exactly what the Warriors need in that one jersey. But I think um, something, someone like Terrell Sloan and, or even the likes of uh, Bud Sullivan in the 6-2, they're just young players that just want to take the game with a scruff of the neck, and they just want to play what's in front of them. And I think if you know we get too uh, concerned about playing, you know, running block shapes and, and all that sort of stuff, if we get concerned and play ourselves short like that, we're not going to win. But the Dragons are able to sort of just play a little bit more off the cuff, um, take it to the Warriors, show you know they're not going to lie down. Um, that's probably where I think there's, there's one slight edge for the Red B. What do you reckon then, uh, Stephen, for Friday night? I've already got your origin predicting, so we're going to be holding you to that uh, tomorrow morning. But uh, what do you think happens Friday night, 10pm New Zealand time? Oh, look, because I'm there, I'd love to see it go to Golden Point. Um, that would be fantastic. But I, I genuinely believe that the Warriors will get the win. Um, it'll be very tough for the Dragons. Obviously, they're not having a great season. And this is now the period of the time when the Warriors need to go, look, we are a finals footy team. We're going to come to Wollongong. We're going to win. So I think the, oh, I'd say the Warriors by four. Nice. Okay. Nice and close. Although uh, I do hope for your sake it goes to Golden Point. You get value for money. Uh, <laughs> thanks heaps for coming on, my friend. Uh, always enjoy chatting. Uh, enjoy Origin tonight. And uh, enjoy yourself up there in Wollongong on Friday. Awesome. Cheers, Sam. Good to chat to you. There you go. Stephen Gallagher there, Sports Freak Rugby League writer. Massive Dragons fan. And even though he is a big Dragons fan, he can take the eye patch off and uh, be honest about who he thinks is going to win on Friday night. Got the Warriors by four. Love it. Uh, we will take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out our Bailey's Property of the Week. Bailey's Property of the Week. Bailey's Property of the Week time, and uh, it's one of my favourite times of the week, actually. It's a pity Steph isn't here because we love looking at this together. We're not a married couple, but I borderline would say we would buy together if we were given the chance. Similar tastes. 
Now, today's property of the week, and it'll come as no surprise because I think their target, it's like target advertising. They know what we like, and they stick with it. Central Hawks Bay, tick, already sold. 61 and a half hectares in total, massive. Just what I need. Bought to market by Tim Wynn Lewis of Bailey's Havelock North, the fertile flat property at 447 Swamp Road. Regular shape, boasts 300mm bore with ample capacity for irrigation and frost protection. Bores are key, people, when we're talking about irrigation. You need those bores. Uh, the organic certified orchard currently has approximately 25 hectares planted in modern apple varieties. You know how much I want to start an apple cidery. Bang, you'll be competing with me at the auction. Allowing scope for further development, alternative cropping programs and or environmental planting of the adjacent stream bed and surrounds. There is a robust lease already in place with a reputable and reliable operator. Property may be purchased with or without this lease, depending on the preference of the purchaser. Centrally located in the middle of these beautiful orchards and the uh, the apple fields is a workshop which includes an office, smoker room, storage for implements and quality RSC accommodation for up to 24 staff on the first floor. The building is well set back from the road, ensuring privacy. Other improvements include 10 modern diesel wind machines in a very good condi- in very good condition, providing peace of mind if frosts occur. I didn't know that's what they did. I don't know they used the uh, wind machines to keep the frost off. Uh, Baileys.co.nz forward slash 285-3293. So Baileys.co.nz forward slash 285-3293. And I'm just having a look at the pictures. They could not be any better. The sun beaming down across the orchard. There's a lot of spare uh, room there as well if you want to plant some other stuff. Uh, but man, does the, uh, the, the pictures of the apple trees just get me fired up. Plenty of space for a little cidery on the side and maybe uh, a bar or a restaurant. Central Hawks Bay. Too easy. There you go. That is our Bailey's property of the week. Go and check it out uh, when you get a chance. Uh, do love the good folks at Bailey's and it's a pleasure to have them on board. Uh, we're coming up to 1.30 News Sport and Weather. After 1.30 we'll catch up with Paul Moate from the TAB. Have a look at those origin odds and maybe a little bit of the Warriors, Dragons and what else is going on this weekend. Crusaders Chiefs of course in Hamilton on Saturday night. Um, we'll find out what's making news and uh, we'll also go back in the day after two. Running it straight, myself and Kempe. we got Kevin Campion coming on to talk some Warriors origin. We've got Brett Kamali, former New South Wales legend of Talk Origin as well. Um, so it's rugby league chat between uh, two and three. But we will take a break for new sport and weather. Come back with Paulie Moati from the TAB after that. All righty, time now to catch up with Paulie Moati from the TAB. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Just download the TAB app or jump on the website. There is a lot coming up over the next few days. Paulie, tell me where the money was coming in for the Ashes and, uh, and who were the real winners on the day. Well, I can tell you that we had a number of Jim Hickeys out there this morning because uh, <laughs> we took a, a whole lot of cash on the draw. Um, so, And to be fair, uh, the way the day started, uh, they were probably ha- had a, a bit of a chance. Um, but once the rain stopped, both these teams were going to be trying to win. And um, that's what we saw in the end. So, yeah, the draw in the end got out to 150, 160, something like that. But... Uh, yeah, the best back price that I saw for the English was around $14. Best back for the Aussies around 7 dollars 
well, I was going to ask you where the Aussies got out to at one stage there. It did look a little bit shaky. Um, very, very interesting. So uh, State of Origin tonight, Pauline, we've talked about this over the last couple of days. Uh, talk to me about some of the power plays. This is always my favourite part of State of Origin. Uh, there's just so many options you can take. I'm going to put together a few same-game multis like I always do, probably lose all my money. Uh, what, what are people jumping on the power play section? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because one of our outplayer pro bonus bet winners, so one of our $1,000 bonus bet winners, mm-hmm. has actually placed his $1,000 bonus bet on a power play. Ooh. He placed it on Xavier Coates, uh, Josh Carr, and Valentine Holmes to combine for four or more tries. That's paying $12. Wow. So if that comes through... He'll be getting eleven thousand dollars back. So that, yeah, keep an eye out for those boys. Twelve bucks for that, Paulie, isn't bad at all. So Val Holmes, <laughs> Coates, and, and Ed O'Carr, and you'd assume that you know the likes of Coates and Ed O'Carr are good for a, for at least one try, given they're on the edge. So then you're just hoping one person gets a double. That is, I might have to just jump on that myself, although I don't quite have the thousand dollars spare. Um, but very tasty, Paulie. What else? Well, I guess in terms of the actual match, though, head-to-head market, uh, the biggest bet we've had so far on the Queenslanders, four do- uh, four and a half thousand on at around a dollar forty-six. Mm. Uh, the biggest bet on New South Wales so far, a thousand dollars at two eighty. Um, but the bulk of the money in that head-to-head cl- uh, market is on Queensland. Is anything to go by? It's all over tonight for New South Wales. Yeah, I don't want to say it as a New South Wales fan, but I think you might be right. Uh, later on in the week, we've got the Warriors and the Dragons. And I'm, I, I personally am feeling pretty confident about the Warriors in this one, um, Paulie, but there are some fans out there who are just a little bit nervous that the Dragons might sh- turn up and do something. What are the Dragons sitting at at the moment? Is there any interest? No. 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 <laughs> in a word, no. Sure. No. It's- it's all about the Warriors at the moment. Um, the, the, just the, I guess the sort of the, um, the confidence that they've instilled in their fans um, is showing in the sort of uh, money that we're taking on them. So it's pretty much one-way traffic in terms of that head-to-head match with the Warriors, of course, heading over to Australia to take on the Dragons this Friday night. It's, yeah, if the Warriors win, it's going to be a great day, a great night for punters. Yeah. If they lose, it'll be a great night for us. <laughs> Either way, someone wins, Paulie. Uh, what about uh, Super Rugby on Saturday? Now, we didn't talk about this on Monday, but now we're at Wednesday. We're a little bit closer, uh, and we have a Super Rugby final on uh, Saturday in Hamilton Chiefs Crusaders. What are people thinking? What are people feeling? The public have told us we got it wrong. Ooh. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. We opened up the... Um, Crusaders at around two dollars and thirty cents straight away. We started money, taking money on the Crusaders, forced them into two dollars and fifteen cents. Kept taking money on them into two dollars and five. We're still taking money on them. They're now into two dollars, um, and the uh, Chiefs have drifted out. I think the Chiefs are a bit of a bet now. They've they've drifted out far, beaten them twice already this season. Um, they've got the home field advantage. I think the Blues made the Crusaders look a lot better than well. They just. <laughs> They didn't put up much of a fight in yeah. the semi-final, so I just think people are just looking through rose-coloured glasses in terms of the Crusades. And I guess if you're down in Christchurch, it's probably just one rose-coloured glass. <laughs> I, I 
poorly wonder. $2.30 for the Crusaders in a Super Rugby final. That's got to be as, as long of odds they've ever had because generally they're favourites in every final they play. And if not, you'd think it'd be closer than that. So that's remarkable that they that we had them at $2.30 to begin with. Um, I, I, you know, Brad Lewis raised a good point um, earlier on in the show. He said uh, if, you, if you told someone at the start of the season that the uh, Chiefs and the Crusaders would play three times across the year, you'd back the Crusaders to win at least one of those. So it makes me a little bit nervous. It is finals footy, yes. It is finals footy and it's Razor and we know what he brings. And I, Paul, you know, I've just had this feeling ever since Razor was named as the All Blacks coach, um, thinking about Super Rugby, I can't get past Razor doing a Phil Jackson last dance type presentation to the team, maybe a little bit of a handbook. And that is the sort of motivation that they've been writing over the last few weeks. It's Razor's last dance. Or last break dance. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't don't remember Phil Jackson doing a break dance. No, he just took his shoes off and did yoga on the the basketball court. But that's what it feels like, Paulie. It feels like Razor, you know, getting people motivated for his last shot. It's all about the zen. All about the zen, my friend. Uh, Thanks for jumping on, as always, Paulie. uh, We will catch up with you later in the week. Cheers. Very good. Have a good one, Sammy. There you go, Paulie Moati there from the TAB. I tell you what, that power play... Um, of the Addo Car Coates and Valentine Homes for twelve bucks. That yeah, it's more than twelve bucks that I'm actually enticed by, more so than um, than you know the fact that it's going to come in. Um, I'm just going to have a little jump on now and see what else I can find on there. Um, depending on how long you want to go, um, both teams score a point in the first ten minutes. That's at seventeen bucks. Origin is usually pretty close, but game two is always high scoring, generally high scoring. So uh, both teams to score a point in the first 10 minutes. That's at 17 bucks. Um, what, what else do we have here? Having a look through. Uh, if you want to jump on Hamiso to score a try in each half like he did in the first game, 18 bucks. Um, Stephen Crichton, one try on each half is 26 bucks. That's not bad. Uh, there's a couple of golden point options as well. Let me go to uh, the alternate power players because these are the ones that me and Steph actually love looking at these ones because they're the ridiculous ones that pay absurd amounts. Um, wow. How about this for a – just go and put a dollar on this, okay? Queensland 18, New South Wales 18 at the end of normal time. So it goes to golden point. Payne Haas, player of the match. That's paying 476 bucks. Put a dollar on it. Just put a dollar on it. Stranger things have happened in State of Origin, So it Robbie. has to be 18 all. It has to be 18 all at the end of normal time. It doesn't matter who wins. just has to be 18 all. Why is it going to be 18 all? Like? I don't, it might be, Robbie. I right. don't know. It's 476 bucks. Go put sure. a dollar on it, right? All right. See, the thing is, they got the one just above it says New South Wales to score four or more tries in each half at $401. Well, that ain't happening. There's no way they're scoring eight tries. So... You could write that one off, but the but the eighteen or in the pain house, it's it's a possibility. You're telling me there's a chance. That's what I'm saying. Um, ben Hunt to score a try, Ben Hunt man of the match, and Hudson Young to score a try, two hundred and seventy six bucks. I love these ones. I love these ones. Um, what else is there? Um, Jeremiah Nanai, Tom Travoyevich, try scoring Quinella, one hundred and fifty one bucks. These are just little, you know. Oh, there's a James Tedesco, Cameron Munster try scoring Quinella, 126 bucks. This isn't the first and second try score, is it? I don't think it is. It's just they've just got to score throughout the game. 
Surely Teddy and Munster's not at 126. That can't be right. That can't be right at all. Although Teddy doesn't generally score too many tries in origin. Um, look, there's tons on there. I won't go through all of them, but I'll definitely have a little uh, dabble tonight as I'm making my way through it. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, Robinho is going to take us around the world. We're going to find out what's making news. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. Before we find out what's making news, Carl says, uh, hey, Sammy, the one I like is the Nanai Tommy Turbo Quinella paying $151. I did like that one as well, uh, Carl, just for a couple of dollars. Uh, and there's also another one I found just, if you think New South Wales might win uh, tonight, both teams to score a try in each half, New South Wales to win, and Queensland to score under 17.5 points, 10 bucks. So if you think New South Wales are going to win, that could be one that you just throw a little something at. Right, what is making news around the world, Rabinio? What is making news? We are we're going to America first. Love starting in the states. Starting in the states at uh, Louisiana State University. Louisiana. Louisiana. LSU. LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, where fans have broken a record in an unusual college this isn't world another, series. This is not another conga line, is it? No. Okay. Different record. Uh, unusual college world series tradition. They've ordered and downed more than twenty-two thousand Jello shots from a pizzeria in Omaha. Okay, um, twenty-two thousand. Yeah. So you got a feel for the staff at the establishment you who do. had to bust out twenty-two thousand shots. You do. And what one thing one thing that I find very interesting, and I found this very interesting when I went over to the states, is just how big the college sport mm-hmm. is over Huge. there. It's like Huge. like that that story started with Louisiana State University fans. Yes. So you don't get AUT fans it's, over it's, here. It's very true. It's, like, it's a good point. There's there's not there's nothing like it really. No, no, they, it is. And I obviously spent time in America. The, the college uh, sports scene over there is just unrivaled. I wish we had that here, uh, but I, I doubt it's ever going to happen. This you know we don't really have university sport in New Zealand. No. So they broke the record: twenty one thousand Jello shots. Yeah, is they, that a Guinness World Record or? Um, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe okay. they maybe they're uh, maybe it's just their own record. It might be, but uh, but yeah. Apparently the total was uh, bolstered by Todd Graves, founder of fast food restaurant Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, Chicken Fingers, spending thirty thousand dollars to buy six thousand of the shots to share with his fellow fans. During which he also set a record for the most shots ordered by a single person. Wow! So he's done the double, and uh, you know what do you say? How many thousand dollars? Thirty thousand. Thirty thousand, which is about what ten cents for for him, probably. Probably. Given as well. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so yeah, the most recent totals at uh, twenty two thousand four hundred. Are they still going? Apparently. Ah, That's the most jeepers. reported. Yeah, most recent reported total. Okay. Um, another story. England took on Ireland in a one-off test at the start of this month. Beat them by ten wickets. Did they? They did. Okay. And uh, one lucky man. Yeah. Won quite a lot of money. Sure. On a bet that he placed quite a long time ago. Okay, please tell. I like these. Which, uh, which also interests me in how did like how long ago do you reckon like someone could have placed a bet and won? Mm, I mean, you can go back a long time, but let's just assume it's the last twelve months. Well, this man placed a bet fourteen years ago. What? And won money from it. Okay, go on. So Josh Tung made his debut for England uh, in this one-off test. Ah, oh, yes, yes. And 
He was 11 when this man watched him play Mm -hmm. and placed a 100-pound bet at odds of 500 to 1 that he would play a test match for England in the future. Wow. I did actually hear this. And so he played in that match against Ireland, did he? He did. And how much did he win? Uh, 100-pound bet, 500 to 1. Where is it? For 50,000? 500,000? Is it 500,000? That can't be right. I thought I I had the account in here. I think I've deleted it. I mean, the amount. In any way, the man anyway, won a lot of money from a bit from 14 money, years ago. 14 years. Remarkable. Yeah. And there's been a heist in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. A velociraptor was stolen from outside an arts and science centre. Gee. A statue, to be clear. Okay, yes. And uh, apparently a security officer spotted three people carrying the statue away from the Washington Pavilion, mm-hmm. called police just after midnight. Mm-hmm. Surveillance video then helped officers track, down, track the statue to a nearby apartment. They opened the door and could clearly see the Velociraptor sitting right inside. So a pretty easy investigation. <laughs> yeah, you have to think about that, people. You, you know, you can't just dump it in the hallway at home when exactly. it's something of that size and that magnitude. So, yeah, police Rookies. detained the uh, three suspects on charges of grand theft. They were all teenagers. And um, fortunately, the statue was not damaged, but officials are evaluating how they can better secure the, dis- the dinosaur statue, one of two Velociraptors featured outside as part of the collection. Thank goodness. Yeah. You got a fact for me? I do. I've got a couple of uh, energy-related random facts cool. today. Um, in 10 minutes, a hurricane releases more energy than all of the world's nuclear weapons combined. In 10 minutes? Mm. That's an ama- that's a amazing fact. It is. Uh, and all the nuclear weapons. Also, a much more random one. Mm. Uh, apparently, if you yelled for eight years, seven months, and six days, Ooh. you would have... Exactly. An F? That wasn't an F. That was... <laughs> that's more of a... A, A maybe? Right, not again. Uh, (laughs) You would have produced enough sound energy to heat one cup of coffee. How long? Eight years. Eight years. I could do that. Seven months, six days. Non-stop. I assume so. Is that like eight hours of sleep or is it literally just 24-7? I think it's 24-7. I'll I'll give it a go. See how how hot I can get the coffee. Right, we'll check check back in with you. Yeah, we'll see how hot. Sam's gone from the station for a while. That's why they'll take me off here. There you go, that's what's making news around the world. Uh, We are going to take one more short break. When we come back, we're going to go back in the day, and then we've got Running It Straight coming up after two. Here's what happened back in the day. Let's find out what happened back in the day on this day, June 21 in 1970. In the culmination of the Football World Cup, Brazil beat Italy 4-1 in front of 107,000 fans at the Azteca Stadium in Mexico. After the score was locked one or at half-time, Brazil took over with a brilliant brand of flashy football and scoring Brazil's third goal. Jazinho became the only player to have scored in every round of a World Cup. 107,000 fans. That is That would have been raucous. Thought Edgebaston was loud. Have a, have a go at that. 1975, uh, the West Indies won the inaugural Cricket World Cup when they beat Australia by 17 runs at Lords. And I've never seen cricketers move as quickly, gathering the sacred stumps. The charge of the brigade over. A win for West Indies here by 17 runs. And unforgettable scenes here at Lords Cricket Ground at the end of one of the greatest one-day matches one could ever possibly wish for. Early days of one-day cricket as well, so that probably wasn't hard to do, but uh, it was the West Indies winning their first World Cup. Sent into bat, Wendy Skipper Clive Lord 102, and Rowan uh, Kanhai 55 held the innings together to finish 291 for 8. Dennis Lilly took 5 for 48. The Australians were dismissed for 274 in an innings that featured four runouts. 
Ian Chappell top scoring with 62. Uh, birthdays today. Jeremy Coney, the praying mantis. We had him on yesterday. He's turning uh, 71 today. Happy birthday, Jerry. Ewan McKenzie, the former Wallabies front row and coach. He's turning 58. Irene Van Dyke, the uh, Silverfern legend. She's celebrating a birthday today. And Dylan Brown. If you can guess how old Dylan Brown is, I would have thought maybe 26, 27. Celebrating his 23rd birthday today, Dylan Brown, still a youngster. On this day in 1987, the number one movie was The Witches of Eastwick and the number one song by Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. Head to toe. That was the number one song on this day, 1987. Uh, that is Afternoons with Staffy done for a Wednesday. Uh, but stay tuned because right after 2 o'clock, it is running it straight myself and Kempi in the chair talking league for an hour. Stay with us.